with us this morning. Uh, I want to read some scripture for us and to kind of get us thinking along the lines of where we're going today, and then I'll say a prayer, okay? So this is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, um, writing to some people who are going through some hard stuff. Here's what he wrote. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so, Lord, now we do ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us in your word today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, for thousands of years, the ongoing presence in our world of pain and evil and suffering has posed a philosophical problem for Christians. Skeptics of Christianity have used that reality pain and evil in the world, to make an argument against Christianity, and to be honest, it's a pretty formidable argument, and it goes like this. Everybody knows there's lots of evil and suffering in the world. If God exists and he has the power to stop it, but doesn't, chooses not to, then he may be powerful, but he certainly is not loving. And if God doesn't have the ability to stop it, then he may be loving and good, but apparently he's not very powerful. So today, I plan to resolve every, to everyone's complete satisfaction this dilemma that brilliant people have grappled with for over 5,000 years. Aren't you glad you showed up? Actually, factually, I am not qualified to do that. In fact, I don't think anybody is. The only one who could possibly resolve that tension is God himself. But in the Bible, which we around here believe to be the Word of God, in the Bible, God doesn't seem to feel super obligated to give us humans all of his reasons for why he does what he does. But neither is the Bible completely silent on this matter. Where is God in my suffering? I know that for many of you, that question is not a philosophical one, not really. For you, it's intensely personal and touches a, a nerve deep in your heart. I was reviewing in my mind all the conversations I've had with people over the last month or so, and many of those conversations had a similar refrain. Why did God allow that to happen? That accident, that illness. One guy was telling me about a family member who had been murdered. Why didn't God stop it? Another told me about Childhood abuse from a family member that just went on and on and on and on. Where was God in that? A couple spoke to me about having yet another miscarriage. It's not just a philosophical question, is it? It's personal. I cannot solve it all today. 
what I can do is from the Bible offer you some rock-solid truths to anchor your soul to during times and seasons of difficulty in hopes that you will reach out to a God whom the Bible tells us does indeed care and has proved it. So let's do that. And first, the first anchor for your soul that I want to give you this morning is this truth, the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. And we need to be reminded of that from time to time. We live in a sin-cursed, sin-stained world. Let me ask, are, are you perplexed and shocked when you hear of yet another report of evil being unleashed in our world? Another murder, another shooting, another bombing, another beheading? I'm not. I'm dismayed by it, but I'm not shocked by it. Because the Bible tells me that the natural inclination of the human heart, what comes by nature in us, is not love towards God and altruism towards our fellow man. Rather, the Bible reveals again and again a human race that has been deeply infected by something that is ugly and selfish and rebellious and controlling tells us that we are all deeply flawed, beginning with our very first father, Adam. Listen to what the Bible says, Romans 5.12, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death came in through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, and that's why the Bible says there is no one righteous, no not one, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. The same word of God also reveals that as a result of human sin, the earth that we live on, this planet, labors under a curse. And that affects everything. One of the writers of scripture, Paul, wrote this in Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So some of the tension in our minds regarding suffering can be laid to rest by just admitting that we live in a sin-infected, sin-cursed world where all people are natural-born sinners and practice their craft every day. And sin has consequences. Always, always. That can explain... Not all, but some of the pain and evil that goes on in our world. Think about it. Some suffering, some of my suffering, comes about as a result of my sins. My own choice to be selfish, to look out for myself over God and over other people, to live for momentary pleasure instead of eternal joy. That can result in suffering and loss and injury and sorrow and grief. You drink and drive and you hit somebody much grief. You slack off at work and lose your job, much frustration and loss. You stare at porn on the screen and you get caught. Watch trust in your marriage get damaged through that. Take your friends for granted and see friendships start to wither and loneliness start to creep into your life. Buy a bunch of stuff and put it all on plastic, stuff you don't need, and now you're feeling the squeeze of financial pressure. You know, one man said this, what you see growing all around you today might just be what you planted last year. And there's some truth to that, isn't there? 
some suffering is the natural consequence of our own sin. It's also true that some suffering comes as a result of others' sins. When a, when a national leader, a political leader, or a church leader makes a sinful, selfish choice, many people get impacted by that, right? An uncle takes advantage of you in your youth, and you live with the ongoing ramifications of that violation, that abuse. Your middle school classmates belittle, bully, and humiliate you, and you carry the wounds in your heart for years. We've all been marked by the sins of others. And third, some suffering comes as a result of Adam's sin. We might have trouble digesting or accepting that, but all that talk in Romans about creation groaning and travailing and being frustrated because of Adam's sin tells me that this earth that we live on is not in the state that it was intended for. This is not paradise. Earthquakes, famine, tsunamis, natural disasters of many kinds. The Bible hints that those phenomena are the result of a curse placed on the earth by God due to man's sin. So this too causes much suffering. So look, you're going to have to decide for yourself whether you're going to buy into the worldview that is presented in the Bible. I can't make that choice for you. You've got to make your own decision about that. But the Bible declares in many places that human sin and selfishness and rebellion ended up having a corrosive, corrupting effect on all of creation, a creation that was once very good. What you believe about that is going to impact your level of shock and disillusionment with what you hear goes on in our world and also how intensely you long for a solution, a remedy for sin. We live in a sin cursed world and much suffering is the result of that second a second anchor for your soul to lay hold of today is this god the creator is sovereign over all things over all things it's interesting john piper says that what we see in the bible is a creator who acts like an owner god in the bible acts as if everything belongs to him seeing that he made it all. What I've discovered is that this one, this this second soul anchor requires a shift in perspective, and it's a tough one, especially for us Westerners. And it goes to this question, who is at the center of the universe? Who is it all for? And if you came in today as a doubter and as a skeptic, I honestly don't expect you to embrace this one right out of the chute because it goes counter to everything that we're taught. But I think I can illustrate it with with a joke that I heard once. Do you know the difference between dogs and cats? A dog looks at its owner and thinks, you love me, you feed me, you care for me, you must be God. And a cat looks at its owner and says, you love me, you feed me, you care for me. I must be God. (laughs) So are you a dog or a cat here this morning? Who is God in your universe? It's an important question. The Bible rings clear on this one. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. 
And the end of that great doxology in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's why Paul wrote, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of me. No. That's a radical, radical reorientation of perspective, isn't it? From a man-centered universe to a God-centered universe. It's a mind shift. It's huge. I like to call it a Copernican revolution of the soul that places the sun, the S-O-N, God's son, at the center of the universe and not you and not me. For him. I know it sounds counterintuitive to our ears, but I contend... That during seasons of hardship and difficulty that you face, nothing will steady your soul during those times like the conviction that God is God and you are not. And he is sovereign over all things and that everything is meant to bring him glory, even my suffering. The third anchor for your soul regarding this matter is this. God does prevent some suffering, some sorrow. But he also allows other suffering to occur, doesn't he? In order to accomplish his purposes. You've got to get that. You'll go through life bitter and resentful if you don't grab a hold of that. Now, think about, th- about this. In this life, you will probably never know all of the suffering that God and his angels shielded you from. The accidents you could have been involved in but weren't, the diseases your children could have contracted but didn't, the troubles you should have encountered but avoided. Maybe one day you can log on to the heavenly Netflix site and download the story of your life with all the alternate scenes and alternate endings (laughs) called The Disasters I Never Knew because they didn't happen because God protected you from them. But we don't think much about that, do we? We're more concerned about the troubles we do experience. Where is God in those? Why didn't he prevent them? How can I trust him if he's letting me experience all of this pain? Well, again, people can sit around and philosophize about those things. For me, I I just want to go to the Bible, and I want to get God's perspective from his point of view. And here is what I glean from the scriptures regarding this. When God causes suffering or when God allows suffering, it is always, always for a purpose. One man said, God never does anything without a purpose. You know, if that's true, then when, when God drove Adam and Eve out of paradise after they sinned and banished them, he had a purpose. When God later judged the world with a flood and wiped out 99.9% of mankind, he had a purpose. When God tested Abraham's allegiance by calling him to offer his own miracle son Isaac as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, God had a purpose. When Joseph's brothers despised him and threw him into a pit, later sold him to a traveling band of merchants, God allowed all of his pain for a purpose if this is true. When God's people out in the wilderness were being ruthlessly, excuse me, down in Egypt were being ruthlessly oppressed every day by their brutal taskmasters baking in the hot sun down there, God allowed that for a purpose. 
when God sent afflictions to torment his own chosen people out in the wilderness because of their constant whining and grumbling and complaining against him. It was for a purpose. And when young David had to hightail it out of town because a jealous king was out to do him in, he had to know that God had a purpose. And when David's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, the most blameless man who ever lived, was betrayed by his own friends, then falsely accused, arrested, beaten to a pulp, and finally executed on a cross like a common criminal. You've got to know that God did not stop it. He let it all happen, didn't he? And he had a purpose. God never does anything without a purpose. Now, from our vantage point, it would be nice, would it not, for God to lay out before us his purposes for allowing the adversity that he allows into our lives. Be nice. So, Steve, just a little heads up for you. On Friday, you're going to get hit by a drunk driver, and everyone's going to die, including your good friend. And I'm not going to stop it. Because my purpose in allowing it is to wake you up to reality so that your eyes will be open to who I really am and your heart will be softened so that you'll be more open to my plan for your life and so your friend's family will be more receptive to the gospel. I never got that text. I never received that heads up. I didn't have a clue. All I knew at the time was I, I've got to trust God. I mean, what's the alternative? The alternative to turn away from God, to get bitter, to close in on myself, that didn't bring me much hope. I had to believe God had a purpose and that somehow, ultimately, it would be for my good and for his glory. Many times through the years, I've been reminded of something that God says in his word. I think it's on your outline there. Isaiah 55, you have it there? This is a quote from God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, he says, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says, look, my, I'm higher than you. My ways are higher than your ways. You see, my way is to avoid suffering at all costs. That's my way. A pain-free, easy life. That's my way. But God's way is higher, isn't it? And so often, so often in my life and in many of your lives, he has chosen to allow pain and hardship and suffering into our lives but he does it to accomplish a higher purpose than your ease and comfort and convenience or mine. I don't know where you're at, but I, I'm learning slowly to accept that. Well, here's a fourth and final rock of truth to anchor your soul to when you encounter difficult times. Number four, know this, even in the midst of suffering, the Bible tells us that we can know that God cares. Does God even care? I mean, that's what we want to know, right? When the wheels are coming off, when the walls are closing in, when things are falling apart, when other people have hurt us, does God even care? 
There's a pastor in New York City, ministers in Manhattan. I highly respect him. His name is Tim Keller. And a few years ago, he was asked to give a talk to the families of those who lost their lives on 9-11. Many of them were still angry and perplexed and grieving over their loss. Wouldn't that be a daunting assignment? Come and talk to these families and give them some hope. (laughs) Well, after a lot of prayer, Keller looked out at that audience and he said this. He said, if you want some solid evidence that God really does care for hurting, grieving people, you can't just look around you right now, and you can't even just look within you to see what's there. You've got to look back. You've got to look back. You've got to look back at Jesus, and you've got to look back at the cross. And I think it's true. There's so much there on that hillside for us. Looking back on that scene, the most grievous incidents of injustice in the history of the world and the most excruciating suffering that has ever taken place, the crucifixion of that man, Jesus. In your mind, look again. Bring that scene up again in your mind. The only truly innocent one to have ever walked the face of this earth. See him hanging there? Do you see him in your mind? Battered, broken, bruised, bleeding. And note this, God the Father allowed it. He did not stop it. Maybe you're asking, what in the world does the crucifixion of a guy on a hill 2,000 years ago have to say to all the people who are suffering right now? It's a good question. Here's what it says. Listen, even if you cannot discern what God's purpose is in allowing your suffering, you can be certain of what it is not. It is not because he doesn't care. You say, how? How? How does the cross tell us that God cares? Follow me now. The writer of the book of Hebrews explains that Jesus endured the cross, it says, for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus knew there was something on the other side of the cross that brought him great joy in anticipating, and it sustained him and drove him to go through with it the agony that was part of God's plan. What was this joy that Jesus so looked forward to? Some say it must have been the joy of being reunited with his Father in heaven, but that can't be it because he had that. He had it before, and he chose to leave it. What was beating within the breast of God's Son so strongly that it drew him away from his home in heaven, away from his Father's side, to come down here and suffer in order to obtain it, in order to have it? I'll tell you what it was. It was you. The joy that was set before him was the prospect of having a family of brothers and sisters. It was you and it was I. Jesus was looking forward to on the other side of the cross and he he had to have it and he wanted it so much that he said, I will go through whatever it takes in order to have that. Don't tell me that God doesn't care. He demonstrated on Calvary's cross. And so when Jesus was in the garden, got that picture in your mind, he sprawled out there on that rock holding that cup. The thought of becoming our sin 
But he remained silent throughout his trials and refused to defend himself, refused to defend his innocence. And he faced the mocking and the spitting and then basically got mauled by the Roman guards. And then the spikes in his hands and the spikes in his feet. And the turning away of his father from him for the first time in all of history. What sustained him through all of that and drove him to endure it all was the joyful thought that his suffering would enable people like you and me to one day believe in him and have our sins wiped away, have our guilt removed, have our sin-stained hearts transformed by his grace and inflamed with loving passion for Jesus so that we would want to be with him forever. Listen, God cares. Cares that much. Cares that much. And you're tempted to think, God just doesn't understand what I'm going through. Remember that Jesus came here with skin. He was God with skin on here, wasn't he? That he experienced everything you've experienced. When you say, God doesn't know what it's like to hurt like I hurt and to lose a loved one, you need to stare at a bloody cross. And when you want to scream out, I feel abandoned and alone, you need to hear Jesus up on that cross saying, why have you forsaken me? He felt it felt it. Friends, I don't know exactly why God is allowing you or your loved one to go through hard stuff. I don't. But I do know this. It's not because he doesn't care. The cross forever dismisses that notion. Does God even care? Oh, you bet he does. You bet he does. So many of you have heard of Johnny. Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny's one of my heroes. Amazing woman. As a teenager, one day, Johnny was down at the lake with some friends, having fun, swimming, splashing around, just having a good time. Then she dove off the dock into the water, and the unthinkable happened. A freak accident In an instant, her whole world was changed, and she entered into a very dark, nightmarish season of her life. I want you to listen to Johnny's own perspective on that many years later. I'm going to play a video clip. It's about nine minutes, but I want you to hear from Johnny's own lips her perspective on her suffering. So take a look. She wrote a book called When God Weeps. And in that book, Johnny actually praises God for her condition and for accomplishing so many good purposes through her suffering. This woman who lost the use of all four limbs and has been paralyzed from the waist down for now nearly 50 years wrote this. God allows suffering for many purposes to purge sin from our lives, to force us to depend on him, to strengthen our commitment to him, to bind us together with other Christians, other believers, to foster sensitivity in our hearts towards those who are hurting, to discipline our minds, to stretch our hope, to teach us to give thanks in time of sorrow, to deepen our character, and most importantly, to cause us to know God. She continues, the invitation to know God, to really know Him, is always an invitation to suffer. But not to suffer alone, to suffer with Him. As Paul the Apostle once wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
One day, Johnny got a call from a firefighter who had listened to her give a talk and had a lot of questions. And so she decided to meet with him. And when she did, to her dismay, she saw that where his hand should have been, there were just smooth stumps. They were burned off in a fire, he said. And then I lost my job. She didn't know exactly what to say to help this man who seemed very bitter at his lot in life. She kind of fumbled around for some words, and finally she leaned in, and she surprised herself by saying this, Look, I don't know all the answers, and I'm not sure even if I did that it would help. But I do know the one who has the answers, and for me, knowing him makes all the difference. And then she said this, For me, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing him than up on my feet walking around without him. Oh my, what an outlook, what, what a perspective. You can only say something like that and really mean it if your soul is firmly anchored in the truths of God's word and if you believe that ultimately he cares. He cares. And so I believe the question for all of us today is this. How anchored is your soul to God's eternal truth? I want you to think about your life for a minute. Think about where you're at today. You know, here we believe that it's important not just to hear God's word, but to respond to it. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is take the, take the little white card out once again, would you? And just kind of turn to that inside flap where maybe you've already written something. And I'm going to ask you to, to write out a response to what you've heard today. And I'm going to give you some shorthand that can make it simpler for you, like A, B, and C. <laughs> maybe hearing today's sermon and hearing Johnny's story and hearing God's word, maybe your response is an, is an A, which stands for already. And you would say this, Pastor Steve, I thank God that I've already learned that he uses suffering in my life for my good and for his glory. You just write a little A there on that flap. That's me. I, I've already learned this, thank God. B, though, would be for the word broken. And maybe your response is, Steve, I feel like I'm being broken by suffering. Frankly, I'm barely hanging on. Please pray for me. Pray that I'll cling to God in my dark times. And if that describes you, would you just write a B there on your card? And I will pray for you this week. C would stand for this. Steve, I have questions about God and about suffering. I, I got questions. And I'd appreciate it if someone would see, would contact me. Help me understand how Jesus made a way for me to know him. And we would be glad to do that. Or maybe you want to write something else out on your card that describes your response today. Would you bow your heads with me? We have some people in our church, we call them prayer partners. And every weekend they come right at the conclusion of the sermon and they stand here off to my right and then over here off to my left and, and they're coming right now and these are folks who have been trained to pray with people and they love doing that and there's no stigma or anything like that people come every week and are prayed with 
And so this morning, if you're at a place where you're just struggling to understand or accept some kind of suffering in your life, maybe for yourself or maybe for a loved one, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer. Would you do that? Let these people pray over you, for you, pray God's grace and perspective into you. They would love to do that during these next few moments. Maybe today, after hearing this message, what you're realizing is that you need to know this Jesus Christ who suffered for you, who died for your sins so that you would not have to face God's judgment. Maybe you're thinking, I, I, I don't really know him. I mean, Johnny, she sounded like she knew him, and I don't. I would encourage you to come as well and ask one of these prayer partners for guidance. How, how do I know Jesus? And they would love to point you to him. We're going to sing a few worship songs, and you can come and receive prayer during that time. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for people that we know or that we get to hear from who have endured suffering with grace and can point us back to you. And most of all, thank you for caring. You do care for us, Lord. You've shown it a thousand ways, and you certainly demonstrated it on the cross of Christ. Give people courage now to respond in the way that you're calling them to, and we'll receive our praises.